Let's uh, let's do this for real. You ready? Yep. Let's go. Welcome to Productive Ministry. My name is Tim Jenkins. I will be hosting this week with me as a special guest is one Mr. Rocky Hernandez. Say hello, Rocky. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Always great to have you. Uh, Obviously, Rocky is the normal host, but this week we're switching things up. We're going to be talking about uh, something that Rocky has some expertise in, and we just felt like this might make the format work better. I wanted to ask you some questions, Rocky about the topic of recruiting volunteers. Okay, man. Yeah. I'm assuming that in your illustrious career of doing ministry, you have recruited at least one volunteer. At least. Yeah. One at a time. So, I mean, just thousands of volunteers over the over the years. Well, I mean, I, like even at events, like literally having to recruit thousands of volunteers at events and things like that that I've been part of in the past. But yes. It's definitely something I have some experience doing. See, and this is why I wanted to talk to you about this, because I'm in a situation that I will get into more later on in the podcast. But I'm in a situation where like volunteers need to be recruited. And, you know, it's not it's not like like the most natural or easy thing to just convince people to do things for you. I and I've been in a number of ministry positions where I had recruit volunteers, so it's not like I've never done it before. But I I will have to say that like there's a big difference from having employees and having volunteers, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Cuz you're tr- essentially you're trying to get convince somebody to do something for you out of the kindness of your heart, right? Out of the yes. kindness of their heart, I should say. And um sometimes that stuff is really simple and depending on what their experience is, sometimes that stuff is really complicated. Um, and so there's always that, you know, sometimes you feel embarrassed because you're like, we should be paying mm-hmm. them for this. But the reality is, is that churches and nonprofits, 80% of our workforce is going to be volunteer workforce. Oh, wow. You know, and that's just, that's just like the the nature of the beast. You say that number, so, it totally makes sense. But at the same time, it's like very surprising. I guess that's something for people to think about is that the majority of the work that gets done in the church is done by volunteers. Absolutely. And and so, you know, I, I have experience both working in and ministries where you have to recruit people and I have experience working in jobs where you have to hire people and, you know, dealing with people in jobs. And this is kind of the, the things that I want us to talk about. You know, you put out an ad out and then people respond to it and then you just kind of look at their credentials and you make whatever choice you think is the best one. And then you tell that person, all right, I'm now giving you money to do this. And so you have to do it the way I want. Yeah. (laughs) And you have to do it the times that I want. And uh, if you're not going to do those things, then you're not going to fulfill the contract of this. And I'll just get another person. And obviously, like volunteering, you know, when you're recruiting volunteers, it it doesn't get to be that way. Not always. Uh, Not always. But at the same but at the same time, one of the things about like recruiting volunteers is that you still have to manage them. You still have to set expectations. And so it's a it's an entirely, um, you know, interesting and complex topic. And so I think yeah. that we, you know, I think it's, I think it's a very valuable thing for us to talk about. So let's get started, shall we? OK, let's jump right in. So I guess the first thing that we should talk about is the majority of the work that gets done in churches is done by volunteers, uh, yeah. e- even in churches that hire a lot of people and pay a lot of people to do it to do different aspects of the ministry. Like there's still volunteers 
in, in the majority of the positions on like say Sunday morning or what have you. Yeah. How do you go about assessing volunteer needs and then identifying volunteers to approach? Well, um, that's a, that's a very good question. And actually I think you have to even start before that. Okay, sure. Um, because the easy, like the easiest thing for any organization to do is to just hire somebody to do that job Yes. or, or to just use your ministry staff to do that job. And I know that you've been in ministry a long time and you know that sometimes it's just easier for you to do the job yourself than it is to, to invest time in training an individual and, you know, walking them through it. And sometimes that whole process is, will take longer to do than just actually doing the, the work yourself. So there has to be a reason why, right? And so okay. looking, for, looking for volunteers has to be more than just, well, we have a need at our church and we have to fill that need, right? So it has to be part of like this, this ministry philosophy has to be part of discipleship philosophy. So I always, I always think that any organization should start there. Like we should start thinking about why is it that we want people serving in our church, right? What, what is the benefit for them in that role? And the, the obvious thing to say is that if you are honoring the great commission and you want people to become mature Christians, then part of what they have to do is serve. And so service has to be part of their own spiritual growth and their own spiritual process. And so we have to, we have to stop thinking in terms of immediately saying, well, our, it's, it's just that our church has a need, but really thinking about the people in your congregation and saying they have a need, they, they need to become maturing, growing, uh, active members of the body of Christ. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can help them grow, help them to determine what their spiritual gifts are, um, help them to uh, to contribute, help them to find uh, significance and understanding uh, greater things about their relationship with Christ is providing them with opportunities to serve. I think that's actually a really important foundational philosophy for some people to hear out there. I got to imagine that there are some some ministers and some small churches or some people who are doing youth ministry that for the first time could potentially be hearing for the first time, Hey, you're not just trying to fill a need. Um, you're actually doing part of the ministry of the church. And part of the ministry of the church is having people serve. Absolutely. And that's why, that's why it's worth it going through all the trouble to, to train a volunteer and to recruit them and even if it's a job that, you know, would be easier for you to do or would be easier for you to, to keep using the same volunteers over and over and over again, um, that's not the point and that's not the goal, you know. And so, like, you have to start with that foundation, that, that correct understanding. And I, I like, uh, I've worked, let me say it this way, I've worked with very few churches that have, like, a clearly defined process that says, we recognize and we have a ministry philosophy about what service is and what we want people involved in service. And so that is part of the culture of our community. That is part of the culture of our organization. Mm -hmm. Right. And it does something, it does something for, I think leaders, because I think it empowers them because they don't feel like they're, 
you know, if you go into it with that mindset, you're not going to feel bad about approaching someone and saying, you know, I really need you to help this weekend. Or, you know, have you thought about uh, getting more plugged in and more involved in the church? Because you recognize, I mean, because sometimes we, we get embarrassed to ask people about volunteering, but we would never be feel bad about asking them if they're joining a specific Bible study, or we would never feel bad about asking them, are you reading your Bible? How are you praying? Can mm-hmm. I pray for you? You know, we don't feel bad about those spiritual things, but, but sometimes when our attitude is incorrect, like, yeah, it, it, it messes everything up. And then we become very, very shy and very passive and, and very like we're inconveniencing them by asking. Yeah. It feels them. like you're imposing. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, definitely clarifying that, that idea, whatever your philosophy of ministry is and discipleship and making sure that you're understanding why these positions are existing in your church, that's, that's foundational, that helps, and it changes everything. Wow. I mean, that, we're, we're off to a great start. If that's uh, all the content this podcast ends up having, then I think that's a message right there worth hearing. So uh, at, at, after that point, we've, we've come to understand philosophically that part of the ministry of the church is giving people opportunities to serve as a matter of like growing them in their faith. I have a need. Right. Or I have an opportunity for people to serve. Right. How do I start? Okay. So the first thing that you want to do is you, you're going to want to, like you, you have your specific need, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to want to break that off into as many parts as you can. Because remember, the goal is that you want to get people involved in serving. So one of the things that we, we try and do most of the time, like our natural instinct is going to be able to, like if we say, well, I need you know, I need a volunteer at the coffee bar, right? And so we look at the coffee bar and we say, we just need people standing there and we just need people delivering donuts, right? Uh Or or whatever. But what you actually want to do is you want to break that off into as many different steps as you possibly can, because you really want as many volunteers as you can possibly get, right? Okay. Um, and sometimes like we try and oversimplify the task and I'm saying, I want you to, to kind of complicate the task. What's right? the, what's the advantage of complicating the task then? Is it just like getting more people involved? It's absolutely getting more people involved because remember, remember it's not about just meeting the need. Okay. Right. It's about, it's not just meeting the need of the church or making it, you know, as convenient for yourself as possible. Those are all advantages but the goal is, is you're discipling members of your congregation. And, you know, if you have a large congregation or what have you, you, you need to figure out ways to get as many people involved. So, you know, it's one person's job to pick up the donuts. It's another person's job to make sure that all of the napkins and cups are, are out. It's another person's job to make the coffee. Uh, it's another person's job to to man the donuts at, you know, the first service. And then it's another person's job to man the donuts at second service. And then it's another person's job to, to clean up the areas between services, right? So as many people as you can get involved, like those are very direct, very simple things. And 
it's a it's you've complicated the issue so as many people can get involved as possible. This is something this is a cue that I've taken from the Red Cross actually because they have this philosophy at the Red Cross and you know I know that probably a lot of people have maybe worked with the Red Cross. Okay. Is that they have this philosophy that you don't turn any volunteer away. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Even even if they feel like they have to make something up, you don't turn a volunteer away. And um, churches really need to start approaching it from that attitude to say, I really need to get as many people involved as possible. And when we have, when we don't have enough volunteers, these are really simple tasks. Like two or three, two, two or three people can run the coffee bar. But, you know, if we can get eight people involved in the coffee bar on Sunday morning, then we have, that's even better. So I suppose the math of that is going to be obviously... Um, how many people you have in your congregation. But I suppose like the ultimate goal, even with a smaller congregation, is to have a really high rate of volunteer or serving. Absolutely. So you want you want as many people involved in serving as possible. But the other part of that is that you want to give people a time limit on on how long like you don't want a person serving in a coffee bar for four years. Okay. You know, you want you kind of want to rotate that 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 out like you don't want those same people serving in the same positions all the time there's no benefit spiritually in that do you know what i mean Hmm. so if if we can because you know we don't know we don't know what it is that we're good at you know like none of us knows what it is that we're good at until we're doing something so being able to expose your volunteers and your congregation to as many different types of service uh, while they're involved in your church the benefit of that is, is you're going to find that that people are able to discover what their spiritual gifting is in, in a very practical sense. How do you go about like rotating people into other things? Because you, you know, I could I could see someone I, or I could definitely see situations where people latch onto a ministry and then they start doing that and they start taking ownership of it. Thing like this is my thing, like my thing at this church is being part of the donut ministry, you know? And then if the goal isn't to have them in the donut ministry for four years, uh, or if the goal is to, you know, have them rotate in through other stuff, but they're not doing that naturally. They're not naturally, you know, by way of saying, Oh, I should find other ways to volunteer. How do you go about, I don't know, pushing them out of the nest. Is that like a good uh, metaphor? I think that's a good metaphor, but I, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's difficult. At my church right now, as a matter of fact, one of the things that we're working on doing is we're creating kind of a a lead position, which might sound weird. So we talk about the coffee bar, right? Uh So we're trying to create a position where there are overseers every hour. So someone whose job it is to, you know, as we complicate the issue to create more positions, Uh someone whose job it is to... um, to kind of oversee. So that kind of goes back to our ministry philosophy, right? When we when we think about what it is that we want people to do, why are we having people serve in our church, and how is this helping them grow in their spiritual relationships with God and all of those things, right? So what, what you do is you, you can kind of really create these, um, this, <laughs> this probably sounds crazy, this system of like tiers, okay, right? 
I think I think Nelson Searcy refers to them as like a like a ministry ladder. Like you take a step up, there's always a next thing that there's always a thing that has a little more responsibility, right? And it, you create that you create that culturally in your church to where you say, you know, we have we have these like starter positions. Uh-huh. Right? We have these things that you can just jump in and out of that are really great, but we have we have volunteer positions that have more responsibility and we're really trying to encourage you to try new things. So even if you're, you know, starting out as I wipe the tables down between services, you know, then you would say, "Oh, well, you know, now I'm doing something a little more complicated. I'm picking up donuts and buying coffee, which is more responsibility because I have to use church cash and I have to turn in receipts and there's a little more trust there. And then finally, like I'm overseeing my own volunteers, you know, and, and the problem that might sound really strange to a lot of people, but if, if you don't create a culture where people are constantly working towards the next thing, why would they ever work towards the next thing? Okay. So I guess what you're saying is also is that it's okay for them to stay in the hospitality ministry as long as they're growing in their responsibility. And so I guess right. like what I got from you earlier is that, all right, you've done donuts for a year. Now we need to get you over there with the youth. But that's not what you're yeah. saying. What you're saying is, is that having someone staying at the same level of service or volunteerism is not beneficial to them long term. If they are going to do it, then they need to grow in responsibility as, you know, as they grow in maturity. Absolutely. Well, let me let me back that. I'm saying both of those things. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm saying both of those things. So, you know, I'm using coffee bar because it's just where my mind is right now. But uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's it. So the 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 thing that the thing that we do like is you 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 have to set a going back to your original question. I think, yeah, you have to set a time limit on how long they can serve in a ministry. Do you know what I mean? And I, the, again, that might, might sound crazy because there's a lot of people who are like going crazy at their churches who feel like, I can't imagine doing that. Like I'm so strapped for volunteers and things like that. But if you don't start every volunteer job and say, this volunteer position is good for three months, you know, uh-huh. then you're going to have a bunch of burned out people. And they're going to be, and it, and and they can say it won't happen, but it happens. You know, I've worked in churches twenty years, and I can tell you, the one thing that I that I hear from the same group of people who are doing the same group of the same things, for for one year, two year, three years, is like, how come they can't get any more volunteers? Why am I stuck here doing this every week? And it becomes like that, just like you do at your job. Are you grateful for your job? Probably. Do you complain about having to go to work all the time? Yes, you do. Um, (laughs) You know? Yeah, that hit a lot of people at home right there. Yeah. So, but that's, I mean, but that's like when you don't set a time limit, you create that culture in your church, right? To say, you know, we're perfectly content to let you grow in, in nothing. And we're perfectly content to just use you as a work, as a worker and we don't care if you are stuck in the monotony or if you're feeling gross about this or if you're starting to get frustrated. As long as you're serving the donuts every week, that's all we care about. 
Yeah, I suppose that feeds into uh, establishing that it's actually a philosophy of uh, people growing through service as opposed to people filling the needs of churches. That if a person's allowed to and expected to come into a ministry uh, or service opportunity and sit there for years doing the same thing in and out every Sunday, then that's very much going to be the kind of well, all we're all we're looking to get done in this situation is make sure the donuts are taken care of. Whereas right. I suppose, and even though it feels counterintuitive, if you set up time limits or term limits at the beginning, and you say, okay, you're going to do this, but you can only do this for three months or six months or a year or whatever, and then you're going to rotate off to something else, you're saying that this is about something more than just making sure the donuts get taken care of on Sunday. Absolutely. And it always has to be about more than just the donuts. It always has to be more than just about making sure the church is clean or, or that the, the quote unquote needs of the congregation are being met or of the church are being met. I wonder if that is where uh, a lot of people, myself included, sometimes get timid when it comes to trying to recruit volunteers because like we aren't keeping the the mindset of this is as beneficial for the volunteer as it is for the ministry or maybe even more so for the volunteer as it, than it would be for the ministry when we're trying to recruit people we just are right. very much stuck in that we're trying to fill a need and and if that's where our mind is at of course that we're going to feel like we're imposing so you know and the ridiculous thing is tim is that we only do this in adult ministry oh yeah you know you would you would never i mean you would never i mean you would never, as a as a youth minister, like if you care about your youth, right? Uh-huh. You would never not create situations that are constantly challenging them in their faith. You would never, would you? I mean, maybe there are people. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but <laughs> it certainly it certainly seems like our philosophy of youth ministry is to continually challenge students because we assume that students are growing through the period of time they're in the ministry, right? That's like the concept of youth ministry is that, and I I guess by an extension, like family ministry in general, where you start out very young and you grow through children's and then youth. By the end of time you get to graduating from the student ministry program at a church conceivably, right? Like you have, you've grown their spiritual maturity through that process. And the only way you can do that is by a variety of lessons and or experiences. Experiences. Yeah. You know, why do we, why do we take kids on mission trips? Is it so that they can see poor people? No, it's so that they're in a position where they're serving in a way that is completely uncomfortable. It's so that they have to become dependent on Christ, so that they have to, so that they have to be challenged, so that they have to, so that they have to view the world as different than they ever thought it could be. And when it works, it it's beautiful. And when it works, what you have is you have these mature, you know, spiritually mature men and women who are totally 100% committed to the kingdom of God for a lifetime. You know, I feel like you're really challenging uh, some of my own preconceived ideas about stuff or established uh, ideas about how ministry works on the adult level. Cause you're right. I mean, we kind of allow things to stagnate in churches and a lot of churches where whatever the youth ministry might be is even, even as minimal as a youth ministry might be where you still have camp or VBS or whatever, you know, you, there's still like some things that you do when it comes to adult ministry. We often don't find more and more new ways for people to serve. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, and, and it's that it's that, or, you know, or we don't challenge them to serve. 
in 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 different ways that that are spurring them on. But you know, if you if you love these people and you care about their spiritual lives, then you have to say you have to say to them like, "Hey, you you you've been really great in this position, and you've done it so faithfully, and we're so proud of you, and we're so grateful, and we've had lots of of great great times." I would like to challenge you to do this sort of ministry for a while, right? So, because because there there has to be a point to where we're taking all of our all of our congregation, every single one of our members, we want them to get to the point to where they're comfortable talking about their faith mm-hmm. and sharing their faith and evangelizing their faith and all of those things, and they're never going to get the practice of doing that if if the jobs that they're doing are purely service driven and they're never allowed to lead, they're never allowed to teach, they're never allowed to interact with, with other people. You know, this, uh, this is like a thing that I find, you know, and this is part of why we did this episode. This is the thing I find incredibly interesting for me personally, because one of the things that I'm involved in right now is a satellite service for the church that we attend. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I are the the music directors for this satellite service, and we plan the music every week in conjunction with you know the whole of worship and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. The thing about the satellite, of course, is that it meets in a school, and anyone who's ever done ministry that meets in a location that you have to set up every week understands that there is a lot that goes into making church happen on Sunday, even just for one service, right. And the the tricky thing for us has been, we've been doing this for like, give or take seven months now. And the tricky thing for us has been that, you know, when it comes to making church happen, there are, you know, there's a fair amount of people who volunteer. I'm sure like the percentages of people who volunteer in the church proper are going to be somewhere around the average of you know, where churches are at, which is probably below the number of volunteers that need to be the percentage of volunteers that need to be happening in a church. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have like probably the average number, you know, percentage of our congregation who volunteers to do things as you would at any other church. But for our location, especially because it is meeting at a school and because it is, you know, people love the, 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 the main church campus and what happens there. Like we struggle with finding, people who are willing to come and and do the volunteer stuff that's needed to make this satellite campus happen. Right. And so this is why volunteers and recruiting volunteers and training and everything like that has been on my mind because, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a difficulty that we face. And I'm, I'm realizing as we're talking about this, that part of the, I think problem we have is a, maybe be not keeping in mind, uh, this idea of how long should somebody serve in a certain situation, but also B, I think there's an extent to which we have not pushed the concept of there is both service and sacrifice in making this happen. And that is good for your spiritual health. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and let me, if I can just speak into a situation, sure. maybe your situation, maybe a situation like yours. It doesn't have to be yours specifically. But I can tell you what typically ends up happening with those those like work-heavy jobs mm-hmm. is that the people that end up volunteering for those are like the most mature Christians in your church, right? 
And that's a, that's a travesty, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't, you don't have to be uh, a spiritually mature Christian. You don't even have to be a Christian to move a speaker. Do you know or what to I mean? set up chairs. Or to set up chairs. You don't have to be, you don't have to be, uh, you know, passing out bulletins on Sunday morning is not a salvation issue. You know, passing out coffee on Sunday morning is not, is not a salvation issue. It's not a teaching position. It's not a, a theology. It's not, you know, it requires no spiritual maturity at all. So if you, so if I, I would say that, that churches like that need to be recruiting, actively pursuing new people to get plugged into those positions. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and I would go as far to say second time visitors. Oh, wow. Yeah. Getting them plugged in, giving them ownership into the into the congregation, people who are uncertain about this whole salvation thing and this whole God thing, like those are all positions that they could be doing while while they're working through all of their stuff. And it's great for them because it gives them contact with more mature Christians. It gives them ownership into the congregation. It's easy. It doesn't require a huge time commitment, and. It, it, it gets them on that road. It starts them out on the right foot to, to recognizing that that part of part of Christian living, while, while service is not about salvation, but it is be about being transformed into the image of Christ, hmm. like it, it sets them out immediately on the right foot. And so, yeah, maybe maybe you know churches they do struggle with ideas like that. So typically what happens is a church will just ask for volunteers. Right. Right. From make an announcement and just say, hey, we need volunteers for this, when instead they should be calling up their second time visitors and being like, hey, I see that you've gone to church once or twice. How would you feel about helping us, you know, set up chairs on Sunday morning or something like that and just being very proactive about it in that way? I think that's uh, I think that's really great advice. One of the things I wanted us to talk about, and I know that this is like an aspect of having uh, and managing volunteers is the idea of training. And you know, you talked about how there is a, a myriad of volunteer opportunities at any given church, right? Uh-huh. Things like setting up chairs or working with the donuts. Those aren't things that require a ton of training. But when you start having people work with students or things like that, often the amount of training can start to go up and uh, the amount of required training even for things like on the, you know, diocese or organizational level or right. the legal, you know, state level or what have you. The um, financial cost of having that volunteer doing background checks and exactly. getting so can, them first aid training. And yeah. Can you speak on that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I let, you know, that's my wheelhouse, man. I, I know. So, <laughs> so I'm very comfortable talking about that. So I, I would say those are, Depending on what your church's requirements are, remember, like, this all fits into a bigger plan. You know, those positions of, you know, working with youth and children are a little more complicated and they require a little more commitment, time commitment. So if people, you know, you you can't have first-time visitors or second-time visitors or new people working with children because you have to have time to have background checks and, and all of that stuff. And that's really important. So... That's that's going to be something for you know people who are probably in agreement with your 
your membership, whether it's like a membership covenant or you're having have an understanding or whatever. But even within that, even within that, I would say there are positions that that people can step into, whether they are, you know, again, setting up chairs for for youth and children or running sound for youth and kids. You know, those are things that we can, you know, get kids to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that they can be participating and serving uh, in their parts of the church too, just like you would with the adults. So, okay, so let me say this. People need to know what it is that they're doing. And when it comes to, to youth and children, like that training has to be part of the process. So as the, as the maturity kind of increases, right, one of the ways that we filter out who is, who is capable and who's qualified is we increase the, the time commitment and you increase like the financial commitments. And those two things have a way of weeding, weeding things out, like weeding out the people who are not really committed or just really thought that this was going to be a good idea. And, but they can't, they can't commit to that level. So First, when you're looking for volunteers in that, you have to just be very honest and say, well, on any level, you have to be honest and say, here's the job, here's the time commitment, and here are the expectations right away. And this is how long we're looking for you. So for my youth volunteers, it was, you know, you're going to be working four hours a week, and this is going to be your specific job. I, I, I had these different job descriptions for different things in youth ministry. You have to come to this amount of training. You have to have a background check. And if you're, you know, you have to have another amount of training for the, uh, what our, what our safety rules are. And you have to pass this test and and all this other stuff. If you're going to be working with kids on that level. And so you, you have to present those things at the very beginning. And as they're processing through the wrong people are going to be weeded out for that. I find that really interesting because it is yet another example of where the thing that you should do is counterintuitive to the thing you maybe feel like you should do when you feel like you're imposing upon people. And let me say this another way. I, I find it interesting that much like it was counterintuitive to make volunteer positions more complex by like splitting up the number of jobs needed, but that was the mm-hmm. thing that allowed you to get more people involved and, and to serve. Uh, with youth ministry, it's counterintuitive. You think that, especially when you feel like you're imposing upon people when you ask them to volunteer, you would think that you would try to make the job as simple as possible, right? You right. you would want to make the commitment as as you would want to find ways to make the commitment as bearable as possible, you right. know, so that people can dictate when they're going to be there and people can, you know, you, you minimize the amount of stuff that they have to do to be able to be involved because you feel like you need people and you feel like they're doing you a favor. By being right. involved, but the reality is, is that what you're saying is make it more complicated, or actually, in this sense, make it require more from the people. Because not only is that going to get you what you need to do the ministry well, it's going to ensure that you've already, you know, that your first filter is the people who aren't willing, or who aren't serious enough, or aren't mature enough. To, to do the ministry with you. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, and that, that's what we we're talking about, like making, you know, rotating people in and out of ministry positions. And, but like the whole purpose of that is you're trying to mature them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, as as the as the maturity level increases, the work should should require more of them. I mean, it's like a basic stewardship model, right? You know, if you do good with the donuts, we'll let you buy the coffee. You know, if, if you if you do if you do good with the coffee, we'll let you we'll let you train a volunteer. If you train that volunteer well, we'll let you lead a group of people. If we find that you can lead a group of people well, we will let you lead uh, uh, an adult small group. If you can lead an adult small group well, we will let you teach a class, you know. Hmm. And so like you're constantly maturing people and that's the goal, right? We want them to be more mature and, and we have to walk them through that and we have to give them give give them opportunity to ask us questions and, and to see how all of those ministry experiences happen. By the time someone is, you know, working with youth and teaching them, you know, you need someone in youth who can answer difficult questions. You need someone who can um, who can teach a class, who is patient, and who exhibits a lot of the characteristics that you want overseers to have hmm. uh, in a congregation. So they need to be spiritually mature people. And so, yeah, at that level, there has to be some complications to it. I noticed that what you didn't say was people who have free time and or like to get silly with kids. Right. No. I mean, there's there's the, there's a job for that. For <laughs> yeah. Sure. There's a job for that for sure. But those aren't the people that necessarily are going to be teaching them and counseling them and and then doing overnights with them. Or those in and of themselves are not all of the right. qualities of a good youth yeah. volunteer. So and, you know, we have all those like starter volunteers positions, you know, after you become a member of the church, you know, you can work with youth and children. Right. And the reason that we do that is because statistically pedophiles won't wait longer than three, three months to uh, to get involved with the child program. If they don't have access to children right away, statistically, they'll just go somewhere else. So there has to be a time limit. That's the first filter. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the next step, if they're really passionate about working with youth is, OK, we will let you buy the snacks for the youth program. And, and it's the same thing. Buy the snacks run the sound, set up chairs. If you do that well, then when we're looking for someone to be in charge of games and you can lead games and now you're directly working with students, mm -hmm. you know, and your character matters at that point. If you, if you do well with that, then we'll let you teach them and your biblical knowledge, character, maturity and faithfulness matter at that point. And if you do well with that, then we'll let you chaperone them at at camp, which is huge because that's like, you have to have some counseling skills because there's always cry night and, you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, you need your A team on that trip. That's true. <laughs> so, but, but again, you know, it's all about having a ministry philosophy and setting time limits and, and all of those things. So how do you go about uh, dealing with a volunteer who? In, in spite of your best efforts, we'll, we'll be charitable and say, in spite of the best efforts of the minister involved, uh, you have found that you have a volunteer who is not in the right seat, as it were. Right. And that's where that's where time limits really are helpful. Oh, because they give right. you an easy out, right? They give you they definitely give you an easy out to say, you know, we only want you doing this for three months. You know, so so, so worst worst case scenario, if it's a real disaster, like they're they're definitely going to leave. <laughs> yeah. Or. But remember, like the goal, like nobody knows, nobody knows what, what they're good at. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what, 
what experience they're going to have that is going to ignite a fire in their heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want for all our people, right? Mm-hmm. We want we want that experience where they are just their their existence, their gifting, their talents, their call all comes together because they've had exposure to this. And there's going to be a lot of times where you say, just like you're growing up and you try, you know, soccer and you're like, soccer's not for me. And so you your kid tries tennis or you, they try football or basketball and it turns out they're not athletic at all, that maybe they're artsy kids, mm-hmm. you know. Um, or an inside but, kid. Or an inside kid. And so, but it just takes time to know that you're that kind of person. So, you know, and that's why there, that's why there has to be all that, that kind of exposure, you know, and, and not everybody is going to be good, but you don't have to be, you don't have to be spiritually gifted to, uh, to do starter service projects. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and by the time you move up and you've tried different things, by the time you get into the more difficult things where it really matters how well and how capable and how called you are to serve in those positions, you're going to have a better understanding of who you are. And your pastors are going to have a better understanding of who you are um, and what makes you tick. And, and they're going to be able to challenge you and, and push you in the right direction because they're going to notice like, man, I've noticed that that when you're, you're, you know, you're standing at the coffee bar or you're handing out flyers like you're you're really compassionate about people. Maybe you should be a part of our prayer ministry. And 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 that's how we do it. You know, and we don't ever have to say, oh, well, you're really terrible with donuts or, (laughs) you know, we don't have to, we don't have to confront them about that, but, you know, we learn things about them and we can, we can either encourage them to take that next step or keep giving them opportunities to mature in areas that they need to mature because it's all a part of their spiritual growth. It's all a part of that process. I can, I can tell that there's obviously a, a very big need and a very big uh, dependency on pastors or ministers or lay leaders to be paying attention as, you know, of, of the people underneath them or the people who are volunteering. Obviously, like this philosophy and system of volunteers only works if, you know, somebody's paying attention to how people are doing in those in those spots. Absolutely. And that, you know, and that goes back to our first call which is to say, yes, you know, we are responsible for the gospel, but as far as like, but that's, that's what all Christians are responsible to the gospel. Mm-hmm. The things that, that sets uh, pastors apart is just that, that they pastor, that we are shepherds, that we are overseers, that we are the shepherds who are teaching. That is the, that is a distinct call and that is a distinct thing, you know? And so that's why I'm saying like, that's our first love. So having, Consequently, having a bunch of volunteers allows you to be able to do that. Hmm. You know, having having volunteers allows you to to get rid of the the work that anybody can do, so that you can focus on the work that that only you can do. You know, and and as a pastor, your job is to pastor. Yeah. You know, if you're a preacher, your job is to preach, and so you you preach with everything that you have. And, and you mobilize and you equip the rest of the body to be the rest of the body. Hmm. I think, uh, I think this is all really good stuff. I wanted to ask a, a juicy question here. Have you ever had to fire a volunteer? Oh yeah. Heck yeah. You got a story you can share with us? Probably not. That doesn't mean <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Excellent. So, I mean, 
but you know, you know, there are there are specific rules that we have in place, especially on higher levels, like working with youth and and things like that. And when those when those rules are violated, then you you know you have to sit a person down and you have to say, I know. I know you're in college <laughs> and I know she's a senior. Oh no. <laughs> but you're not allowed to date students. <laughs> you know, in five years, is that that big a deal? No, but it's, it's the job. Right. And so, I mean, you have to take them, you have to take them through that whole, through that whole process. Right. For sure. And, and uh, most of the time, it's not like that. It's not removing people from ministry. Um, it's most of the time it's like reassigning them uh-huh. and saying, you know, when you do this, uh, you're really, you're really angry. You're really frustrated. And I noticed that that makes everybody else around you really angry and really frustrated. Uh, what's going on? And, you know, and you have a conversation with that and then you say, you know, I've noticed that this is a pattern. Like you weren't having a bad day, but this is how this this makes you feel, are you not happy here? Do you not feel like this is something that God is uh, using in your life uh, or that this is something that you were called to do? And you just have to have like really open, really open discussion, you know, and by the time, by, you know, if they, if they know that you really care about them and that your intention is not to convince them to, to, to do a job that they're miserable at, um, then your heart is already going to be there anyway. And you're going to want to find them. You, you, you love these people. When you work with people, Tim, uh-huh. in, in ministry and you serve alongside of them, like that is a bond. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you, you really begin to develop affection for these people, even people that you don't necessarily click with in any other section of life. You know, there's that, there's that bond there. And so you're, you're able to just go up to them and say, I want to try you in this position. And, and say, you know, when, when we started this, I thought that this was your gifting and I thought that this was going to be a really good, positive experience for you. And I'm sorry that it hasn't worked out. And I'm sorry that, that I encouraged you down this road, but let's, let's take a second to, to refocus and readjust and be praying about where we can put you next, you know? So you're a good teacher, but you know, your your language is not great for three year olds, so maybe this is not <laughs> the ministry you should be in. Have you considered adult ministry? Or do you know what I mean? So yeah, it happens. It happens. Well, that's, that's really good advice. Uh, I think I think maybe there's I I gotta imagine there's somebody out there who has heard this and thought, oh, okay, I need to confront this situation head on and um and turn and turn a frustrating thing into a good thing. Yeah. All right. You know, and if, if you don't, if you don't, because remember, like you're pastoring people, you're shepherding them, you're shepherd of your church entirely, but you're shepherd of individuals, mm-hmm. you know, and if you, if you refuse to do that, then your ministry is going to be full of people who, who are like those people who audition on those singing shows, who their entire life have told them that they're good at this. And then they find out in front of 20 million people that they're not good at this. Yeah. And that's, and that's humiliating. So, you know, people, people are like, have you ever been in a class with a terrible teacher at church? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it becomes this running joke 
And so not only, not only, um, is this, you know, person never going to fulfill what their actual purpose or calling is, but they've become a joke at the church. Hmm. And that's just a terrible way to treat people. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I've asked you some specific questions, but I, I wanted to give you opportunity. Is there other things relating to volunteers or, you know, recruitment or management or what have you that you'd like to, to talk about? Yeah. Uh, specifically one of the things that I would love to address is celebration. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I feel like it's very telling that that wasn't even on my radar. So go ahead. <laughs> like you, you, like you have to celebrate everything, every little victory, like you have to celebrate that because, you know, life is hard and ministry is hard and people, people serve at church because they're looking for significance. And so you have to reward good behavior. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You have to, you have to reward um, small victories. You have to encourage you have to um, acknowledge people in front of their peers. You have to give them, you have to send them thank you notes. You have to say, wow, I was blown away when you did this. Here's, you know, here's a gift certificate. You do so much for our church. I appreciate you so much. When you were serving in this position, it was wonderful. He, take your wife out to dinner on me and and just celebrate like all the great things that that you learned and and let me do this wonderful thing for you. Give them money, you know. Just, <laughs> just like go out of your way to uh, to celebrate. And 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 there's two things for that. There's two things that are really great for that. Okay. I think that we talked about this before, either in a blog or or something. But you know, one, be, you know, behavior that is rewarded is behavior that is repeated. And so, you know, if 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 people are doing good, they should be acknowledged and they should be appreciated and they should be loved because it's encouraging and it's going to encourage them to do that further. The second thing is, is that it creates this culture of joy. And I know we've talked about joy mm-hmm. and there are a lot of times where ministry just feels so overwhelming. And if you're not careful, if you're not watching, like everything is going to drift towards entropy. That's the natural state of things. Right. Everything Uh is going to to drip towards monotony and misery and all of those things. You don't have to make an effort to to uh, drift towards bitterness towards your church. Hmm. Right. You don't have to you don't have to try to get people to be angry or bitter in a position. But you do have to try to cultivate joy, cultivating joy in an organization in a church, in an individual, in yourself is a discipline hmm. and you have to be intentional about it. And so I want to work in an environment where, where all good things are celebrated and all bad things are improved and then celebrated, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's, I mean, that's just it, man. And there, there are so many times that we don't, do that because it's not on our radar. Like we just get so inundated with, with the, the minutia of the work and, and all of this other stuff. But we, you know, I think that we as pastors, like there are times where we get to experience that joy on some really amazing levels. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's really wonderful. 
And I want the people I'm serving with to, to experience that joy too. I want them to have joy in the Lord as they're growing and maturing in their faith. Hmm. But yeah, you have to be intentional about that. So, I think uh, I think that was something this podcast desperately needed to include. So I appreciate you making sure that was said. Uh, I think we're getting close to about time to wrap up. I have one more question for you, unless, okay. unless you have something else you wanted to talk about. Oh no, go ahead. We I I probably could go like another hour to on this subject. We'll yeah. do another episode later on. <laughs> and you know, I forgot to say at the at the front of this is that you're the community pastor at your church and so this is kind of what you spend all your time doing and thinking about. So Yeah, I'm the connection pastor. Or the yeah, connection pastor, I mean, yes. Yeah. So, uh the last question I wanted to pose to you was a practical question for, for those who might be listening and are, are trying to sort out all the things that have been said over the last near hour. How does the person who uh, is is running a church or is a part of running a church that currently has ministries going and wants to implement some of these ideas, Where what? how do you suggest they begin? What are some good places for them to start implementing these things, these ideas, these concepts uh, to ultimately end towards uh, the kind of volunteer and service uh, situation, phil- philosophy and situation that we've described? Because obviously there are going to be plenty of people who have churches where the person who's running the donut ministry has been ruling it with an iron fist for a near, a near decade now. So uh, how do you begin to to transition this? Well, the first thing is, is to make sure that your leadership is on the same page. So whatever position you are, like if you're a pastor at your church, I would challenge you to ask the question, why do we have volunteers? And if the answer is to just meet the needs, then you need to rethink everything. And you need to start building uh, a ministry philosophy that is really concerned and focused on the discipleship and spiritual growth of your your community and your people that you work with. And, And to just get that down and say, you know, from now on, we're approaching we're approaching our volunteers as people you know, we, we have these volunteer positions so that people can grow in their relationship with Christ and you start there. Right. And then you, then you do like all of those things to present new ideas and it can be very gradual. It takes time to, to change culture, right. In a church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if, uh, Pearl, Perla Williams has been serving at the coffee bar for 45 years and she's 87 years old, you know, let, you know, let the woman serve at the coffee bar, you know, <laughs> that might just be, that might just have to be the thing, but God is constantly sending new people to your church. And if you just have to start there, then just start there. So, so that, you know, and, and as, as the, as that culture begins to change, everybody will start to change their mind about it. And when they, when they recognize that, that this is healthy and that this is working and you, you are providing more opportunities and you're asking them to think about and pray about things. That's really good. So start with the philosophy, uh, and then like go to the needs and look at those needs and try and put them in some sort of progressive order to say, you know, this is, this is how we can kind of envision people moving up. Like these are, these are, 
more difficult tasks that require more special skills and require more maturity. These are tasks that we can get people involved in at this level, get them in and out. So yeah, start with the vision, move to the needs, you know, figure out what kind of people you need in each of those needs and, and, and what, at what level people can be to serve in those ministries. And, and then just, you know, celebrate every victory and just work your plan. Yeah. I was just thinking, I mean, something somebody could start immediately is they could start writing thank you notes and sending gift cards and things like that. Obviously that doesn't take any kind of culture change other than your heart. <laughs> so absolutely. And maybe a budget for gifts, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate uh, you spending some time answering these questions. Obviously you're normally the host of this podcast, so you were going to be here anyway, but uh, you know, these were some things that I had been wondering about and obviously are, like I said, affecting my current ministry situation. And I know that this is something that you spend a lot of brain energy and physical energy and emotional energy trying to, uh, you know, make happen in your church. And, and so I think this was a great conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Tim. Thanks for having me on, man. If anybody wants to get in touch with Rocky and would like to, you know, speak to him more about this topic or maybe have him come out or do a phone call conversation, talk about your situation at your church, you can reach him at rocky at productive ministry.org. And, uh, you know, that's that's where you're at. That's where I'm at. Tweet me, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we'll wrap it up here in just a moment when I read the credits. At another time, because <laughs> I don't have that. Hold on, actually, I'll just pull them up and read them. Okay. Today's episode was produced by myself, Tim Jenkins. Special thanks to Rocky Hernandez for being our guest today. Rocky is the normal host of the Productive Ministry Podcast, so tune in next week to hear him do some more interviewing. The Productive Ministry Podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. You can also find us on the web at ProductiveMinistry.org, which is also home of our extended show notes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we ask that you please rate and subscribe. This really does help us out. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, please go to iTunes or please go wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating for us or, or a comment. If you do, we'll probably feature it in the show as well. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. And of course, as I mentioned, we're on Twitter at prod ministry. That's P-R-O-D ministry. Use the hashtag productive ministry and we'll thank you on next week's show. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC. And as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week.